Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. These people who have a history of breast or cervical cancer in their family history absolutely should look at getting hormone testing done that looks at estrogen metabolism, including where is the estrogen going? It's not just a matter of do you have elevated estrogen? It's is it going down this negative pathway? Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. One of my clients who actually found me on a podcast was recently lamenting about how much she learned from podcasts, but also felt like she was getting so much information, she didn't know what to do with it or take from it. Learning is everything in life, but how do you remember what you learn or put it into action? Well, we grow and retain our learning when we share it with others. That's why I want to invite you to my new Facebook group for the Less Stressed Life podcast, the Learn, Grow, Share Circle.com. This group started as texts with friends and listeners talking about those aha moments from episodes. I thought, why don't we all get to have this talk? When you listen to an episode and wonder, did anyone else try that? I want to be able to share updates and things I've learned since the episode recording. And now more than ever, community is of paramount importance. To join the group, just go to learngrowsharecircle.com and join the conversation. I called it learngrowsharecircle.com because that's really how I see this. That's how I feel about podcasts. You want to share your aha moments, your wins, your questions, your thoughts to get the most out of this podcast. I'll see you there. Should you test your hormones? It's a common question that women ask themselves. And often we think that within that test lies the answers to why we don't feel quite right, why we feel off, why our lab results that we've gotten back from our regular annual appointment are normal, but we still don't feel right. So let's talk about today, should you test your hormones and what you may or may not get from that testing process. So let's talk about what a hormone imbalance feels like. What does that mean? Here are some things people might say. 
Estrogen dominance really results in heavy, long periods with lots of clotting. People that are dealing with excess estrogen at certain times of the month around their cycle might experience painful cramping multiple days while on their period. They might have mood swings and they might have acne that presents especially around their chin around that time during that certain time of the month. They might feel tired all day long. Now, I do have a whole episode on why am I so freaking tired, a checklist for energy. It's episode 100. I've put the link for that in the show notes already. But for some people, if you've had a period of very high stress for a long time, you're an overachiever, you're a high performer, type A personality, and maybe you have some kind of autoimmunity, this is a dead ringer for this, but you may be suffering from some long-term low cortisol. And so if cortisol is low both in the morning and the afternoon, you're not going to be able to get up and go or to be able to get simple things done. It's going to look like extreme fatigue. Another potential example is hair growth in all the wrong places, while also losing your hair in the right places where you actually want it, which is really frustrating. So for example, is if you have hair growing out of your nipples, down your belly button, through the center of your face, and you seem to be losing hair, that is an issue with hormones as well. So there are four things that I think really go into hormone balance overall. And they include, you might want to grab a napkin and write this down. So here's the things that go into hormone balance overall. First is blood sugar balance. Next is micronutrients. For example, you need to have certain nutrients that can be become deficient to support one of your favorite happy hormones like progesterone. Stress. So if stress or cortisol is high, you start to dump certain nutrients that are really essential. And then gut imbalances. And gut imbalances are going to create micronutrient deficiencies, blood sugar imbalances, and further perpetuate stress. Now, stress and gut imbalances kind of interplay with each other. So blood sugar, really making sure that, you know, what does that look like? Are you having to pack a snack everywhere you go, right? Are you feeling like you're never really satisfied? That can be driven by, again, that's not, the hormones are not the root cause of the problem there. They are, a hormone imbalance becomes a result of that issue, okay? So four pillars, blood sugar, micronutrients, stress, and gut imbalances. So people go about hormone testing from a different angles. Some people start with a baseline measurement, which can be great, right? Tests can be useful tools. And then some people like me, I tend to work on influencing blood sugar, micronutrients, stress, and gut imbalances. I work on all the things that influence hormones first before I test because I want to see what movement I've made and what's left to do technically. Now, let me back up because there's more than one way to do everything. So there's different ways to test hormones. In my practice, I use Dutch testing, which stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. It's one of my favorite testing companies. The medical director, Dr. Carrie Jones, has been on the podcast in the past. And that's episode number 94, Hormone Testing and Stress Hormones. So I use Dutch testing, but your primary care provider is probably going to use serum testing. That's a reliable, well-studied test for reproductive hormones. And it doesn't include the metabolites that I'm going to talk about today when I go through the Dutch test and kind of what it tells us in the three sections of that. There's also saliva testing for hormone testing, specifically for free cortisol, and that's really well documented as well. Its best use in sex hormones is with progesterone and estradiol too throughout the menstrual cycle. Lastly, Dutch testing is 24-hour urine testing, and that's really looking at urinary metabolites. And I'll also include a reference to the peer-reviewed article that Dutch has put out validating the use of this urinary version for analyzing comprehensive hormones. 
Okay, now let's jump into the utility or what hormone testing tells you. So on the Dutch test, there's really three giant sections, three primary segments I'll split it into. The first is sex hormones. That includes your estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone. And the best way I like to think about these is to give them a persona. So with estrogen, Dr. Felice Gersh on the podcast talked about how estrogen is really a superhero, but so often we kind of think about it as Jekyll and Hyde. I talked about estrogen excess symptoms, which is one of my favorite things to work on, which are heavy periods, acne around your periods, and painful cramping and mood swings around your periods. But if you get low estrogen, you can also have depression and hot flashes. Think menopause, because our body has two modes, reproduction and non-reproduction. It's a complicated yet simple creature. And so when you're in the menstruating years, you're in the reproduction mode. And when you move into perimenopause and then menopause, you're no longer in reproduction mode. And so naturally your sex hormones that go up and down and create our menstrual cycles each month start to go down in general. And so it's natural to have a decreased amount of those hormones. So this is a great place for me to insert that when people get I've seen this happen, when a young woman who is menstruating, who's in reproductive age, so in her 20s, 30s, etc., and maybe 40s, right? Because you should be able to menstruate into your 40s for sure, into late 40s for the majority of people. Giving someone hormone or replacement therapy is not necessarily the right fit. What we want to start with is how do we help someone create their own hormones? by themselves? How do we jumpstart that communication? Because there's a lot of things that will influence or suppress communication of natural hormone communication. And then your ovaries just don't want to produce these sex hormones, including your estrogen and progesterone. Okay, so backing up, estrogen is kind of like Jekyll and Hyde in my personas. And then progesterone is kind of like the homecoming queen in my personas. Very good mood. Everyone wants more progesterone. One of my favorite books called The Period Repair Manual by Laura Bryden that I recommend to a lot of people that I have one-on-one or introductory calls with, especially if I'm talking to a young female. I'll often recommend the period repair manual because it augments the things that we're going to be doing in work together, but it's sort of a manual on the woman's body. And so you can really use it like a reference manual. And I love when you look up progesterone, it says, everyone wants to know how to increase progesterone. Everything in this book is about increasing progesterone. So you need nutrients, you need low stress, you need good gut health, etc. So progesterone is really like your happy hormones overall. I know someone who says that they always felt their best during pregnancy and never felt amazing outside of pregnancy. And that's because during pregnancy, that's the time of highest progesterone. So that's the highest amount of progesterone, natural progesterone she'd probably ever had was during her pregnancies. So that may have been why she felt that way. So it's just a fun way to kind of think about that. So estrogen is really Jekyll and Hyde. Progesterone is kind of like the happy hormone. And the testosterone, I think about him as like a maintenance man. You need him around, but not in excessive amounts. And excessive amounts is where you sort of get that hair growth kind of going through the center of the body and maybe some hair loss in the top crown of the head that you don't really want. And this is really consistent with an underdiagnosed condition, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I've had a couple episodes on this as well, which is hallmarked by two of these three issues, irregular periods, presentation or presence of polycystic ovaries, which aren't really cysts, but they're undeveloped follicles, and hair growth through the center of the face. So that's excess testosterone. So testosterone is essential though. If you don't have enough testosterone, you're also going to feel like crap. So testosterone, again, is a maintenance man. It helps repair tissues. And so if it's really, really low, you're also going to have really low energy. And stress seems to be our most common cause of suppressed testosterone. So 
sex hormones. We've got estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Now you know. So what's fun is that it's not just at face level. So as you can imagine, in a cycling woman throughout your cycle, these sex hormones shift, specifically estrogen and progesterone. That's how we have a cycle. It's the rise and the fall of those hormones that create that menstrual bleed. Now, because that changes throughout the month, the time that you test around your cycle is critical for the reference range you want to use for hormones. So in Dutch testing, we take the Dutch test five to seven days after ovulation, and we use ovulation strips to help identify that. Now, if you don't ovulate, you take it at any time because then we think it's kind of flat or where there's not going to be a lot of shift there. So we want to make sure that our reference ranges are on target for the time of month we took that test. Next, in the sex hormones, each one of those, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, have its own metabolism. I'm going to focus a little bit on estrogen metabolism because it's my favorite and most complicated. Remember, excess estrogen symptoms look like heavy periods, cramping, acne on the face, or mood swings around your cycle. So estrogen goes through a few places it can get stuck. Actually, testosterone can put on a different hat and it can aromatize or become estrogen. So that's kind of an interesting one. Alcohol can kind of upregulate that process. Now, this is where we like to check into family history. So if you're a cycling woman, you're curious about your hormones, the best place to check is to look at the hormones of your mother or your aunts or your sisters also to understand if there could be some genetic components. Because at the top of the funnel, in my opinion, and if we're thinking about estrogen metabolism, is estradiol 2. So that's at the very top. And if that's elevated, that's a different treatment or protocol versus if the estrogen is elevated in a different part of this pathway. So let's go down the funnel, so to speak. So estradiol 2 or E2 is at the top, and then it has three arms it can break off into. We've got 4OH, which is not a good pathway. We've got 2OH, which is a good protective pathway. And then we've got 16OH estradiol, which is a neutral pathway. So I do want to tell you this because these people who have a history of breast or cervical cancer in their family history absolutely should look at getting hormone testing done that looks at estrogen metabolism, including where is the estrogen going? It's not just a matter of do you have elevated estrogen? It's is it going down this negative pathway? So the 4-OH pathway is not a good pathway, and it is the one that's associated with breast and cervical cancer or the cancerous pathway. And there's things we can do nutritionally, lifestyle, etc., that helps shift from 4-OH or negative estrogen to protective 2-OH estrogen. And that is incredible that you can do that. That's honestly part of the reason I'm recording this episode is to bring more awareness to that comment. So estrogen, again, three arms, 16-OH is neutral, 4-OH is cancerous, not as good, 2-OH is a protective pathway. Now in 2-OH, this is, again, metabolism of estrogen. And so then it goes down the 2-OH pathway, and there are some genes that affect this. But this is where phase two liver detoxification or methylation, or maybe you've heard of MTHFR, really comes into play. And this is something we can all improve by improving the type of nutrients that we consume instead of just taking crappy multivitamins. So what's the end point here? If you're dealing with symptoms of heavy bleeding, bad moods, PMS, like you know your period's coming. If you know your period's coming and it has symptoms, you can improve estrogen metabolism. And we need to figure out if you do that at the top because it's a top-level genetic issue. If it's going down the wrong pathway and you need to shift it out of the, let's say, cancerous pathway and into the good pathway, or if it's just not coming out of the good pathway very well. There are some other things that can allow 
even good estrogen to get hung up, including stress and caffeine usage for certain people. And I'm not saying that that happens to everyone. It kind of depends on their genetics and what's going on in their lifestyle. So the testing really helps you identify whether that is going on or not. So that's just the sex hormone section. I know that's a big section, and I didn't even talk about the metabolism of testosterone or progesterone. But let's move on to a second section, which is really the adrenals or the HPA access, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. So let's talk about adrenals because sometimes I got a message on Instagram the other day where someone said, hey, girl, I have adrenal fatigue, and I know that food is really important for this. So could you have a meal? Like it was something like that. And my preferred response would have been, girl, you don't need a meal plan, you need a whole plan. If your adrenals are under stress, there's a few things that can be going on. Okay, so let's back up. Hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. Essentially, stress is coming in. There's a beautiful picture on the chart that I'm looking at here. And it basically sends messages from the brain to the adrenals that there's stuff going on. So what do the adrenals do? They secrete cortisol, which is our most well-known stress hormone. And they secrete DHEA, which helps control blood sugar. So nothing is really in a silo. Everything kind of like helps at each other. But cortisol is something that's released when we're trying to do fight or flight or when we're under times of stress or when we're drinking a lot of caffeine. We can release cortisol, especially in my case. That's what happens to me. So I think that there's really like three scenarios that can happen with cortisol at a time. So there's kind of a dial. And so if it's right in the middle, maybe your cortisol metabolism is pretty healthy. If it's elevated, maybe we need to tamp that down. So, you know, this might look like wired, but tired. You are just having trouble like chilling out. Maybe you're a chest breather, something like that. So we need to bring that down. So that's a different intervention than if you've been high for a long time. Sometimes that gets essentially burned out or it's like, I'm tired. I'm going to give up for now. And so it'll dial all the way down to the bottom. And so then you're not really creating much cortisol long term. Like it's just given up. It's petered out, so to speak. And so we're not producing cortisol at all, which is essential for function. And that's how what's supposed to happen during the day is we have a curve and we're supposed to be able to want to get out of bed in the morning, right? And so when we wake up, our cortisol should rise. And then in the afternoon, it should go down. And at night, it should be at the lowest. So we want to go to bed. We should not be having a burst of energy at night. That means our cortisol pattern is kind of upside down or a little bit like imbalanced overall. Okay. So three scenarios with the adrenals, it's either good, it's high stress, or it's been high stress too long to where it's not functioning well. And there are some really specific things that need to be done here that can be good for any age. And this is where I really focus if someone is perimenopausal or menopausal, and they're looking for because when you're menopausal, you are no longer creating hormones via your ovaries anymore. We've now down regulated that production. We're making very little estrogen and progesterone. Now we're primarily making hormones for adrenals. So stress and aging, as I tell people, do not go hand in hand. So we've talked about stress hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. We've talked a little bit about adrenal hormones, including cortisol and DHEA, and what that can look like. And let's talk about the last big section of the Dutch test, which is the test I use for hormone testing, and that is the organic acid test. Now, organic acids are urinary metabolites that can help give us markers of nutrients. So there's a few nutrient markers here that are useful and that I appreciate when trying to look at what's going to help improve certain hormone markers. For example, one of the organic acids on here, so let me back up, there's really a few nutrients it's going to give you indicators of. Vitamin B12, vitamin B6, and glutathione. Glutathione being kind of the master antioxidant for the liver. 
There are some other markers, neurotransmitter markers, including serotonin, and there's also melatonin and also like oxidative stress or basically damage overall. But let me give you one example from the nutrients. So it doesn't necessarily say you're deficient in B12. It shows how is the metabolite that would kind of connect, like bind to B12, which is MMA, methylmalonate, that would bind to B12. And so if it's not binding to B12, that MMA will appear high, meaning the B12 is low. That's kind of how we get that. So it's sort of immediate information. And if you're on a supplement, it may be altered by what you're on for the supplement. This is why, one of many reasons why, I think it's a good idea to have some preparation before you jump into testing. So it's good to review with someone, what do you hope to learn or gain from your hormone testing? When what types of over-the-counter things are you on? Are you on Singular or Flonase? Because those can change the accuracy of your adrenal report because that's a nasal steroid. And so we want to talk about those things in advance and what your period's normally like, what your hormone story is, and what you're hoping to get out of that hormone testing. I think that pre-visit is very important. So that's why I've kind of built that in to a hormone package. Education is a really big deal here, right? The going back to the very beginning, and I know you love to be educated. <laughs> I know you love to be enlightened because you're listening to this podcast. If we think about the things that influence hormone balance overall, I've got a client right now who likes to say all the time, I think my hormones are acting up. I think my hormones are acting up. And I'm like, well, what does that mean to you? And so when we dig into it, it's like, nope, it's much more specifically this section of that. It's not your hormones. It's this, which kind of like feel the hormone imbalance is sort of a byproduct of that root cause of gut imbalances, micronutrients, stress, and blood sugar. Okay. All right. So we've talked about organic acid organic acids as part of the Dutch test. So this is essentially a 24-hour urine test where you pee on strips and let them dry and then send it into the lab. We're looking at sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. We're looking at adrenal function via metabolized cortisol, free cortisol. And then also we get a little bit of, we get melatonin, which is also a metabolite. So this is different. This again, urine versus saliva and serum. And I mentioned this earlier, but hormone replacement therapy, that is either synthetic progesterone, which is usually, I believe, derived, I don't want to say, I hate to say this incorrectly, I think there's like some horse connection. Anyway, there's synthetic progesterone, and then there's bioidentical progesterone. And this is not my area of expertise. But that is essentially what we're talking about when we're talking about hormone replacement therapy or HRT. For some people, if your hormones were very out of balance when you're a menstruating woman, when you go into perimenopause or menopause, it is reverse puberty. So it is not comfortable. So some people, they can have, it's very life-changing for them to use hormone replacement therapy. And at that stage of life, we're not expecting them to create their own hormones anymore. So it's very appropriate if they're well-managed because, I mean, all kinds of things can happen. So, (laughs) and what I've learned from my own education from going to hormone conferences seems like there's a lot of trial and error that happens. I suppose that's why we call medicine a practice, right? So to summarize, I think hormone testing, people seem to want this, right? And it can satisfy some needs. You can infer things from hormone testing if that's where you start. You can also start somewhere and then go to hormone testing. Because people feel like hormone testing is going to give them answers, and I think it gives them answers to open up that they need to address those other four root cause pillars, I offer hormone testing a la carte now because I want people to have the opportunity to look at that, even though they need to know that there's more that meets the eye, right? Like That's why I kind of went through all of the sections here today. In the Dutch testing mini package, I've included that pre-workup to go over the 
supplements or medications that you're on to make sure that they're not going to negatively or positively influence the Dutch test without you knowing about it, the best time to take it, and what you're trying to accomplish from learning about your getting your hormones tested. It also includes the test and follow-up appointments after the test is completed. So you have both an initial intervention. As you can see, it probably takes a while to go through this test. It took us a little over 20 minutes just to go through a very, very high-level overview of what is even on it. And then you want to have follow-up after the interventions. And that's not really where your work ends. There's so much you can do. The best tests are the ones that you can get a lot of mileage or leverage on. And depending on if there's issues with the sex hormones and the adrenals and the organic acids, technically there's like several phases that could be addressed. And sometimes you only have one section or one piece that really needs a lot of help. And so you can just focus on that area and it's much faster. Just kind of depends where you start and where your baseline is. So I hope you found this episode helpful just to understand what I think it's kind of a mysterious area. We say let's do hormone testing and it seems mysterious. So I wanted to share my stance on it, which is maybe different than what your primary care physician does with their serum testing. And if you're interested in any of the resources that I mentioned in this episode, I've got them in the show notes already, as well as the link to the Dutch hormone testing mini package that includes the pre-workup, the intervention and review appointments and the test. I've linked that in the show notes and I've included a $50 off coupon to use through the end of 2020. So be well and have a great day. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 